They may be the most anticipated and consequential of congressional hearings in decades. After 11 months of work and over 1,000 interviews, the committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol will premiere this week in prime time on Thursday at 8 p.m. with all the TV networks, except for Fox News, of course, planning full coverage. The committee is touting evidence of what its members are calling a criminal conspiracy led by Donald Trump to subvert the will of the people and overturn the results of the 2020 election. But as Washington gears up for the extravaganza and outside groups plan watch parties with free ice cream, there are still questions about just how strong the committee's evidence is, and perhaps more importantly, whether a public preoccupied with soaring gas prices, mass shootings, and shortages of baby formula will tune in. We'll talk to Yahoo News' Tom Lobianco about what to expect from the hearings, and then we'll hear from Norm Eisen of the Brookings Institution on why they matter on this episode of Skullduggery. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. I will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. 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 I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. And I'm Victoria Bassetti, a Senior Counsel at States United. And we are joined by Tom Lobianco coming to us from the U.S. Capitol. Tom, welcome back to Skullduggery. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So look, to say the bar is high for these hearings, I think is uh, uh, understates the case. I mean, the anticipation is great. The fact that they're doing this in prime time raises expectations that, you know, we're going to see some really powerful testimony and evidence. And um, I guess the question is, you know, what do they got? And how are these going to play out? Let's start with the Thursday night primetime hearing. What can we expect? In yeah, the yeah, absolutely. I mean, no, number one is they seem to have learned quite a bit. And it's that, you know, Caitlin Dixon and I will have this story up here in a bit. Um, they seem to have learned quite a bit from the previous investigations of Trump, the Trump-Russia investigation, both impeachment investigations. And um, they're limiting witness testimony so you don't so you will not have this like circus-like atmosphere that you had in previous uh, encounters with trump they have an abc actually has a very nice scoop on this on the uh, abc former abc news james goldston is helping advise them on how to produce this to make it a uh, effectively a primetime spectacular you know of course the question now is you know how much of that matters how much will anybody tune in for anything anymore. I mean, you know, just think back a few months and the biggest thing was, uh, you know, Will Smith literally slapping Chris Rock in the face. Like, I mean, that's kind of what it, that's kind of the bar that's set for these things. Let's start out with the first question you ask about any hearings. Who are the witnesses? Who's going to be testifying? Ooh, great question. And well, been, it is the central yeah. question you ask yes. about any congressional hearing. Yeah. Who they got? Who they got? Well, they've been super cagey about this, but what we do know so far is They'll have a number of aides to vice, former Vice President Mike Pence will be testifying. Mark Schwartz, his, uh, his longtime chief advisor, uh, Michael Ludig, former judge uh, Michael Ludig, who advised him on, uh, on certifying the election on January 6th. They have a top aide to former chief of, Trump chief of staff, Mark Meadows. Her name is Cassidy Hutchinson. She'll be testifying. 
Uh, on Thursday recently, night, all these short uh, uh, Hutchinson on Thursday I night. Don't know, don't know yet that that's going to be on Thursday night. Apparently, Thursday is the. Um, I've seen reports that it's uh, Nick Quested, who is this um, is the British uh, documentary maker. He'll be one of the people uh, apparently for Thursday who was embedded with the Proud Boys when they were the the, the militia group, the extreme right group, when they were plotting what was going to happen on January 6th. So, you know, Nick Quested, um, that's, a, that's a name to look out for. But they've been very tight with the, with the list. They've been very tight with, you know, re- revealing anything about what's coming up on this. You know, we're, we're two days out now, and we still don't have, we still don't, as you point out, we, you know, we still don't have a witness list. You know, the big names, of course, and, you know, the biggest name, Trump, which they did not, they did not try to bring in Trump in any serious way. He will not, the expectation not be testifying. We don't know that they went seriously after Pence. They'll have a lot of proxies for Pence, but not Pence himself, unless something, you know, something seriously changes in the next couple of days. You know, again, it's, it, it's, they have been very cagey about this and understandable. You know, it's kind of like how these Intel. I mean, cagey, perhaps because they can't figure out who's their strongest witnesses uh, to put on on prime time. I mean, I think and we'll talk about this, that, you know, they're going to have one major shot, big shot. And it may be their only shot to really grab people's attention, to grab them by the lapels and say, this matters. Here's stuff you don't know. And we're going to give it to you. And. You know, I think they really got to deliver on uh, Thursday night or, you know, the hearings are not going to be the success that the members are hoping for. Or, Mike, is it possible that they're cagey because the witnesses have asked to be protected from the blowback and the amount of pressure and probably death threats that they're likely to get because they're breaking ranks with the Republican Party? I mean, if I were a Pence aide or a Meadows aide or someone who was about to kind of go testify about this in the face of violent militia groups, I might kind of want my name to be kept secret until the last minute. Although I should point out that all the names that uh, that Tom mentioned have been out there as people who have cooperated with the committee and testified. So I'm not quite sure why you want to keep their names secret at this point. Well, they may also be cagey because they're trying to preserve the element of surprise. And to your yeah. point about there's a, a high bar, you know, there are a lot of anticipation. You know, uh, what they need are revelations and they need uh, dramatic uh, live testimony. And I guess it's conceivable that they are not revealing all of the witnesses um, ahead of the hearings uh, for that reason. But, you know, obviously they're they're thinking through and, you know, to your point, Tom, about what they learned from the other Trump investigations, they're thinking through how to break through to the American uh, people. And that's why they bring on someone like James Goldston to do a kind of very polished TV, made-for-TV production. Uh, but I, I, you know, Istikoff mentioned this in the intro, this this idea of watch parties uh, that they're organizing around the country. In some cases, I, I think there's one of them at the... Um, Robert Taft Memorial here in in D.C., uh, where there's going to be free Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So that sounded to me when I read about it in the newspaper kind of tonally very off, uh, given how grave um, the subject matter is. But I wonder if you have a sense of of why they're 
doing this and if it has to do with these efforts to kind of uh, break through and and it's essentially an organizing um, exercise any any sense of that yeah I mean, you know, just to pull back for some perspective on this, and I guess like, you know, we're, you know, we're in the mix, you know, we're in this constantly, you know, we're, we're deep in the weeds with the reporting on every major issue. And I kind of have to run checks myself on this. I go back to my family outside of Baltimore, ask them what they're into. And this is not one of the things that they're into. They're not tracking this. And to me, that's astounding as somebody who's been up here periodically for years that, you know, we had this violent attack inside the Capitol and we had people running through the building, literally smearing human feces on the walls. We had people die as a result of this. To me, that is astounding that that alone is not enough to grab people's attention. But it's I mean, it's kind of the environment we're in. So it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like if you if you see that in the history textbook, right, you know, it's like, you know, as part of the organizing efforts, they enlisted Ben and Jerry's to give out free ice cream. You know, like it, it will sound silly, but that's also kind of to the to the bigger point here. That's the bar that they have to get across, which is like they have to find some way of engaging people with this. And there's just so much competing for attention right now. To be fair here, I think it's outside groups that are planning the watch parties. I think Public Citizen is doing the one at the Taft Memorial. It's not the committee itself. On the other hand, the committee did bring in James Goldston, the former head of ABC News, to sort of produce this thing. And I think, you know, to me, that sounds totally off as well. I mean, you know, it suggests they're looking for something slick as opposed to the raw authenticity of an actual congressional hearing. Well, that I, I disagree. The raw I disagree authenticity with that. or complete I disagree boredom. with that. I mean, I, I think, <laughs> right. I think they, they are dealing with the challenge that Tom was just talking about, which is that a lot of people are checked out um, and are thinking about a lot of other things. And what do Americans like? They like slickly produced TV shows, you know? I mean, you know, it's just, it, you know, and, and, we'll and I think- We'll see, we'll see. I mean, and, and I'm, you know, listen, I don't want to prejudge this. Maybe, you know, it, it's all going to depend on the content. And I got to say, you know, the Times reported this guy, the documentarian Nick Quested as, you know, one of the lead witnesses. I don't know. I mean, uh, first of all, he's a guy who was following the Proud Boys. We know the Proud Boys are bad actors. We They were just, you know, re-indicted in a seditious conspiracy uh, charge this week by the Justice Department. The question in my mind is, does that get to or touch on anybody in Trump world? Because I think that's the gap that people are looking for the committee to fill in some connection between folks in Trump world and the actual assault, violent assault on the Capitol. The committee knows that, you know, they, they know they? that's the they know that's the gap that they have to fill in. I mean, it's the question right. everyone's been asking for, you know, a year and a half. So we'll see. Well, one, one thing that we haven't talked about here, um, and Tom, I'd be interested in hearing your views about this is. The Republicans, right? Because other than Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, there are no Republicans on this uh, committee, and Cheney and Kinzinger are all in uh, with the Democrats. There isn't going to be anyone to cross-examine uh, witnesses. There isn't going to be anyone to try to undermine the basic uh, narrative. Um, and so that strikes me as as an advantage uh, that people who put who 
put on these kinds of investigative hearings have never had before. Now, of course, Republicans will be all over cable TV. Well, they all over Fox. I don't know about the other cable. The other cable Lar- networks will Fox, all be covering the, way, the hearings. Right. And, right. Yeah. And Fox is not covering the hearings. But, you know, that uh, I wonder if, um, you know, Kevin McCarthy, uh, after he sees these hearings, will um, will say and he wouldn't say this out loud. Uh, but, you know, maybe it was a strategic error. Uh, not to have um, Republicans on the uh, committee who could go after the witnesses and, and try to tell a different version of the story. Well, they absolutely do. That's, yeah. Like, I mean, they absolutely do have structural disadvantages this go around. I mean, and the other thing, too, is to consider there, Trump doesn't have the White House anymore. You know, like, it's, it was easier. It's easier to, like, pay attention to other things that are happening and cover other things that are happening, not the least of which are these continued mass shootings. When you don't have, when Trump's not the president, you know, going off in a million different directions, you know, by the minute. So, and he can't, he can't draw people in to his counter narrative of all these things. Um, but, you know, real quick, let me go back to um, with the Proud Boys. You asked about the connection to Trump world. I have not seen this directly. It's possible this might come up in the hearing. I don't want to be, you know, over, you know, get out over our skis or anything. But we do know that the Proud Boys had a very close connection and were helping out with Roger Stone. It's part of that, uh, that effort in the lead up to January 6th, part of the organizing around that. So I think they were providing you know, security to Roger Stone at the yes, Willard Hotel. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, there's, you know, Stone is in and out of orbit, just like, you know, in Trump world, just the same as like Steve Bannon and some of the other folks. But I mean, if you're looking for a singular consigliere to Trump, I mean, that's probably as as good as you're going to get. Right. But we don't know whether Stone directed, encouraged um, or otherwise, you know, blessed the uh, move to assault people on the in the U.S. Capitol to storm the Capitol to occupy um, the Capitol that day. We just don't know that. I would have thought if given that the FBI would normally have all the cell phones and emails of people they indict, they have ways of getting that stuff. If there were such evidence, we would have seen it in a seditious conspiracy indictment. Hmm. Uh, but we have it. Yeah. Not necessarily. Yeah. Would you, you? It's not yeah. clear that yeah. you would have so seen and it yet. so communicated with individual one uh, at the Willard. Yeah, of course. Yeah, an indictment, would put that an in. indictment doesn't would... disclose every piece of evidence no, that you've but got. It, does, it discloses but it what's necessary disclose, to bring the indictment. Victoria, it does disclose significant evidence, and I have seen it time and again when they've got a high-profile target. They want to let the world know that there's a high-profile target, and there's no reason to conceal that at this point. They throw it into indictments. If they've got strong evidence along those lines i would have expected we would have seen it by now but we'll see and we'll see what the committee has tom where are you going to be on thursday night we'll be there in the room ready you'll be there in the room which room in the capitol is it going to be oh well, I'm going to have to actually check that before Thursday comes around. I know yeah, I please do, since we're <laughs> counting on you to be covering these hearings. Uh, we hope you show up in the right place. Um, <laughs> Boy, this is right. not the audience I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, only tough questions on skullduggery. Right? <laughs> what room is the hearing in? Um, 
All right. Well, we'll you got you still got a couple days to figure that out, and um, we will be back to you after uh, to see if you actually made it in. Tom, <laughs> thanks again for joining us. Awesome. Thanks, guys. We've now got with us a podcast regular, Norm Eisen of the Brookings Institution and author of the new book, Overcoming Trumpery, How to Restore Ethics, Rule of Law and Democracy. Norm, welcome back to Skullduggery. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, Victoria, for having me back. Let's start off with something of a softball for you. In the grand historical sweep of congressional hearings from Teapot Dome to Watergate to Iran-Contra, how do you see these hearings in terms of their historical significance? I would load two others into the list, the, the Truman uh, World War II corruption hearings that catapulted him into the vice presidency and then the presidency and the 9-11 commission, although that was a commission, not hearings. In the grand sweep of time, I think these hearings have the potential to be a historical inflection point. Really, I think of them as the Watergate hearings for the streaming era, because, you know, what worked in Watergate round the clock coverage of sometimes mind-numbing. I found it gripping as a, as a young teen watching in my family's hamburger stand with my dad, pointing out the functioning of American democracy. That won't fly anymore. Our collective attention span has shrunk. And so I think what the committee is winding up to do, all indications are they get that, and they're going to do six. Personally, I believe they'll end up doing more than six. We'll see at least six tight, focused, grab America by the lapels hearings, very 21st century, you know, mixed media friendly, a mix of live witnesses, uh, montages of evidence, and uh, the oldest trick in the book, telling a good story. So I think they have the potential to be an inflection point. Let's hope they're not like, and I was part of great hearings in the First impeachment, which I've uh, left off of the list, although I think it belongs in the mix. Um, and I was part of really uh, some a couple hearings in the wind up to impeachment that fell short of the mark. I think they've learned those lessons, Isakoff. What lessons did they learn? Uh, number one, control. That you can't, the worst moments we had in as we were limbering up, it really was in the spring training in and around the Mueller hearings. You know, Bob Mueller was not that great of a witness. You had others who, well, we all know him, right? We've talked to him. Most or all of us have known him, talked to him for years. In his heyday, he wouldn't have been a great witness. He was very terse. And, you know, he's a wonderful man, but that his hearings were not the heyday of Bob. So then there were others, some of these insane Trump witnesses who completely chewed the scenery. We disciplined them with staff cross-examination, but we learned by the time we got to past spring training, we got to the main event, the Ukraine impeachment. What you saw were, um, and in the impeachment and trial, a mix of live witnesses 
of testimony control. That's number one. Number two, you guys love this. You, you eat it up with a spoon. New evidence. They've got to have some new evidence. And then number three, just tell a story and not the expected story. Like the, the, the insurrection didn't end on January 6th. In addition to overcoming trumpery, where we talk about this, in fact, I think it may be your distinguished co-host and my distinguished co-author of one of our chapters, Victoria Bassetti, who talks about the fact the insurrection hasn't ended, the big lie is burning. Hundreds of candidates or bills from coast to coast still pursuing this falsehood, a great threat to democracy. They gotta tell that story too, that the insurrection didn't end. The American people don't expect that. So those are the three elements. Okay, so Norm, we're gonna get into the details and into the weeds here. But before that, one more softball, which is what do you think the committee's objectives are here? What are they trying to achieve when these hearings are finished, whenever it is, the late summer or the fall? What do you think they are hoping will happen? How will it change anything? Well, I'll be watching in a TV studio at... uh... CNN on Thursday night when they define their objectives. I do think it will be very important for them to establish what are the targets so we can all measure, right? When I was being trained, I think of Thursday night as like the opening of a trial. And we've all seen good ones and bad ones. Even in bad trials, the opening tends to be the highlight. And it's downhill from there in managing the witnesses. Again, actually, because of some of these same issues we've talked about, control, new evidence, and uh, gripping narrative. But I was taught when you open, you tell the jury where you're going to go, the trial, you go there. And then the closing is you tell them where you went. So they need to define those objectives. I'll venture some having been through this. And we, you know, we've all The three of us have been through it together on both sides of the aisle, some of us as reporters, some of us as working on these congressional hearings. In my case, uh, both. I've done both sides and defending witnesses. I think that's how I first met Isakoff and Clydman when I was working at Zuckerman Spader when we were representing witnesses and what became the first impeachment of Clinton. I guess the only impeachment of Clinton. So what do I expect the objectives will be on Thursday night? I think above all, they've got to set the narrative in the same way Watergate did, in the same way the 9-11 committee did, including the narrative about that it described about the failures of the American, vast sprawling American intelligence community, Teapot Dome. All people remember about Teapot Dome now is that it was a bad scandal and the government was corrupt. Uh, So I think they need the preeminent objective is to set the narrative. I believe that is a narrative of what happened in the run-up to January 6th. There was a long run-up. This was not a spontaneous eruption where Trump said some inflammatory things and the mob charged the Capitol. He instigated this intensely starting in August, and really he started signaling in April uh, what what ultimately happened on January 6th. And as I said already, it hasn't ended. So if they can convey those two points, 
to the American people about the long run up and the long tail. I do think they need to grip prosecutors. You had Iskoff and Clydman had a very, very important piece this week about the Georgia investigation and your interview with uh, the DA. That's where the action is. And, and believe me, all of those I've read in the press, y'all might know better that she has 10 top staffers, lawyers working for her on that prosecution. They'll probably all be sitting in a conference room watching on Thursday night. We know they've had contact with the committee to get the evidence. So I think, you know, I look to Georgia for the most important outcomes, and I'll be grading Thursday on are they advancing that case? And, and then American people, you know, with all these election deniers on the ballot and all these bills from coast to coast, we need to get the American people to be a little more active as they were in 2020, the grand coalition. They've got to come together again now. We can talk about, is that happening? Back to Georgia. You know, Kemp defeated Purdue. Raffensberger not only got more votes than Heiss, he probably thanks to Democratic crossovers, avoided a runoff. You have to get above 50% to avoid a runoff. On the other hand, Herschel Walker, full-fledged election denier, he's on the ballot. Doug Mastriano, AG candidates, Secretary of State candidates. So there's some motivation for the American people. The insurrection isn't over. Help us fight it. Norm, so getting back to the January 6th hearing, if you had a, a magic wand and you could be sure that you would 100% get the answer to one question at this hearing, what would that question be? What happened during the 187 minutes of Donald Trump at a minimum criminally committing dereliction of duty with an insurrection that his with his failure to respond to an insurrection he incited and, I think this is all still one run-on sentence, and did it go beyond mere dereliction to active stimulation of violence in his behavior then or at any point beforehand beyond what we already know about publicly? Yeah, so you, you want to know that 187 minutes in the White House from when the kind of assault on the Capitol started to when they kind of went and everyone was like texting him and Meadows saying, you've got to get control of it. Trump issued that, you know, that kind of mealy tweet. You want to know what was he doing? The first with? tweet where he actually seems to egg them on. And then finally, after 187 minutes, the little video that he filmed outside where he still celebrates violent insurrectionists Go home with love. This is a day we'll always remember. I mean, he's serenading these insurrectionists. At least he's telling them to go home. I want to know every minute and every second of that 187 minutes. I want to know if all the leaks we've read are true. Did he tell, say, words to the effect of, yeah, when they were chanting, hang Mike Pence, maybe he should be hanged. Did he tell Kevin McCarthy, well, I guess they care more than you do. Did he affirmatively block aid coming to help? Was he cheering on the attack on his own vice president, his own government? Those are elements that go to the things I care about intent. The next most important thing, Vic, 
The next most important thing is all the evidence that surrounds the next most important block of time, which is the roughly 60-minute conversation on January 2nd. We have a recording of this one with the Georgia Secretary of State in which Trump says, can you just, quote, find 11,780 votes? I want to know everything that is possible to know about that. And some has leaked out like the texts of Raffensperger staffer texting Meadows, it's time to end this. I'm paraphrasing, you know, no good can come of this. Everything that is the heart, that is a simple criminal case for Fonnie Willis down in Georgia. That's the guts of it. And I let's get all that evidence out there because she's not just trying her case to a Fulton County jury. She's trying it to America for the sake of our democracy. Let's get it out there. That's number two. The January 6th committee is not focused on Trump's phone call to Raffsenberger in that case. You're not expecting to see I am. Rev- revelations about that call. Of course. And, and well, the if I were there... The- If I were there, I would reverse. This is how I did the impeachment. And some people love me and still talk to me. Vic still talks to me after 30 years of this insanity, doing cases together. Start, it's another less, look, I'm a trial lawyer. To a hammer, everything is a nail, right? So I, that's how I was trained. That's my DNA. I think it has not served me ill in television and book writing and NGO co-founding and some of the things that I do now, but I, you ruthlessly start with, you sit down before you sit down with your client and the first day when you get hired or even before you get hired to pitch the case, you think about what is the verdict that you want that jury to bring back to hold up on appeal. So you start at the very end. Why are we doing this, Clydeman? Why? Norm. Start with that prosecution, if you ask me. I agree with you that Trump's actions or inactions that day, despite pleadings from lots of people in Trump world to call the dogs off, is you know probably the most gripping thing people are looking for. But that's not what the committee is starting out with. That's not, as I understand it, it's not till the sixth and last hearing that they're going to deal with a sort of TikTok of Trump's conduct that day. That seems to be the exact opposite of what you as a trial oh, no, lawyer I think, are no, no, suggesting. No, no. You that they ought to me, start with their strongest foot. No, you didn't ask me where they ought to start. I'm sure you're going to hear. At, you asked me what's the most important. I went to the end. Vic asked me, what's the most important thing? To me, the two most important things are, and I'll add a third, that I want to get at the end. Now, how you do it, that's a different question. They need to, in the first hearing, give an overview. The reason that they are reportedly just going off what you said, Isikoff, the reason that that last hearing, that last day is going to focus on the 187 minutes is because it's the most interesting and the most important, right? Go back mm-hmm. to the rules, tell a good story. You, you save the blockbuster ending. But in terms of the overall, the six hearings, what I want to get out of it, the 187 minutes, the January 2nd call and every jot and tittle of evidence surrounding it. So it's all out there. Number three, the post-January 6 events. I want to understand 
how the insurrection has not ended. It's still going. That's the clear and present danger. That's what we have to respond to. So those are the top three. The order in which they do that, you're going to get a flavor. Tell them what you're going to tell them. That'll be the first hearing. I'm sure we'll hear from the chairman, the vice chairman in best bipartisan fashion, a complete laydown of where they're going, but with a little bit of mystery, room for surprise, open questions, right? You don't give away the end of the story when you sit down with your kids around the campfire with the marshmallows and the chocolate and the graham crackers to tell them that story. The word story, tell a good story, you said. Curious what you think of the committee's decision to hire James Goldston, the former head of ABC News, who reportedly is helping them put on a slickly produced, made-for-TV, primetime extravaganza. Is that something that you all thought about doing when you did the Trump impeachment? (laughs) Is it something that you think is the right thing to do? Is there a danger of it being too slick? Give us well, your sense of that. how did you cover it? Yes, we tried to do that. We did not hire a TV producer. Uh, we Do you consider it? Uh, no, because I think I'm better at that than any TV producer. <laughs> you show me, there's only a few TV producers who got the, you know how we judge. It's very cruel as trial up lawyers. We judge by the size of the case and the size of the check. Okay, so I think I have a pretty good proven track record. And my co-counsel, my partner, Barry Burke, is by popular acclaim the best trial lawyer. There's no better trial lawyer in America. Barry and I and our colleagues, you look Adam Schiff, who was impeachment counsel, is no, you know, is, is, is no mean a trial lawyer himself. He is a wonderful trial advocate. Dan Goldman, who was a colleague of ours, many, many others. So we thought we, and I think that the way we started, you know, if you look at the ups and downs of the impeachment trial, and we were hampered, they have a free hand. We had to negotiate everything with Mitch McConnell for crying out loud. I think that that impeachment trial, that first impeachment trial sent the template for congressional hearings in the 21st century, for the era of streaming Netflix style episodic hearings. Look, the mixed media, the recordings of witnesses, the gripping storytelling, leaving open some of the mysteries. That's the template. I thought it was sufficiently slick. It can't be too slick, you're right. It can't be too slick because the roughness, part of this era is the roughness, right? It's the TikTok era. You want it to be viral. You want a little bit of a feeling. So we'll see. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Mr. Goldston, personally, he has a good reputation. Personally, I would have hired Jeff Zucker to do it. Of the people I've worked with, I guess that was a non-starter. I don't think that would be a particularly good idea at this point. But he's the most amazing because he really, and you know, I was on those shows as a guest and the producer would say, you know, Zucker was calling the shots in the big moments. I've been privileged to help cover some at CNN over the past four years. He's the best at that. Okay, we'll see. Okay, All right. now, but there's counter-programming. Axios is reporting that there's, you know, Fox is not covering this. Uh, Steve Bannon and all the right-wing radio shows are, are going to be counter-programming 
this hearing, given how aggressive likely the kind of disinformation and aggressive attack on the hearings are going to be, is there any chance for a kind of middle of the road, you know, kind of voter who has, you know, kind of not paid all that much attention to it, but maybe a little bit of attention to it. Is there any way that a normal voter or watcher is going to be able to cut through the noise and the counter-programming and actually come away from this feeling confident that they know what the truth of the matter is? Yes. I don't think that they're going to be able to counter-program their way out of a truly effective performance by the committee, which is what I expect. Now, if the, I think, you know, probably the 30% of America who are firm Trump acolytes, they're a tougher get. This is real. And then, you know, there's another 30% who already understand the truth. Maybe they're a little too vigorous or partisan at times, but they're basically, you know, they have an understanding. There's a middle that you want to pick up. And then there's, if you can get 70, and we did this, by the way, we tracked this in impeachment. We looked at how the numbers shifted in the public polling and the proxies, like, for example, how many, what percent of Americans, we had a big theme, we wanted witnesses, live witnesses, which they're going to have, right? We wanted Bolton was our big get. We were negotiating right up until the end of the impeachment trial in the Senate. Then we got a huge polling bump where we started to approach that magic 60 plus number. It's kind of like the 60 votes you need to beat a filibuster. You know, you want to get into super majority territory. We got there at the end with Trump's many people who voted for Trump saying, hey, I want to see a live witness. They got through to me here. I want to see Bolton according to the polls. So that's the target is the middle. The middle well, is the target. You're, you're talking about polling, which only <laughs> sort of reinforces the skepticism some people have that this is yeah. a political exercise, not a, a fact gathering effort to get at the truth. And, you know, that has been that point has been made just in the last couple of days. The New York Times just ran a story about how Democrats are hoping that that these hearings, they can use it as a political cudgel to change people's uh, attitudes and take them away from worrying about inflation and uh, and rising prices and rising crime. And even to the point where outside groups are holding watch parties, giving away free yeah. ice cream. Now, I think, uh, I'm, uh, I think I'm speaking at a watch party. You are. I mean, all right. Now, why would they do watch parties? Hold on a second. Hold on a second. (laughs) You know, Norm, I'm I'm a little shocked that you are indulging these watch parties, given the gravity (laughs) of what this committee hearing is supposed to be about. To be having parties about the hearings seems a little, I think, as Danny said before, totally off. But let me just read you something that David Axelrod tweeted just after that New York Times story broke, if I were a member of the January 6th committee, stories like these casting the hearings as a political cudgel would make me very unhappy. Conversely, Republicans who hope to dismiss damning findings as partisan will seize on them. Let facts speak for themselves. Well, what was the thing he retweeted, Mike? That's what he tweeted about the New York Times uh, story about the watch parties and Democrats trying to use this for political purposes. Okay. The Annie Carney story or another story? Do you remember? No. 
I didn't agree with him. I didn't agree with David on everything in the White House, in the campaign, in the White House. We did generally agree. There was another group that wasn't so into my uh, strong Dr. No medicine. David was. He was a backer of that. And I sometimes disagree with him at my own peril on CNN. First of all, before answering the question, I do want to note, I've been friends with Isikoff, as I say, for three decades. Listeners to Skullduggery do not take personally that like note of skepticism and even disdain, <laughs> like totally <laughs> He's like, you idiot. How could you believe such a thing? You idiot. Wow. It's nothing personal. It yeah. really bothered. You are a good trial lawyer, Norm. <laughs> it really bothered. I will tell you, it, some of my partners, when we were working, what became that impeachment, the, all the Clinton scandals, like Isakov would get on the phone and they would pass me notes. What an asshole. <laughs> but I, I, he is. And I would say he is. Our listeners is. to Skullduggery often oh, write that in reviews. No. Yes. But he's an asshole for a good cause. That's the truth. He's an asshole, but he's our asshole. No, I'm a bipartisan <laughs> asshole. No, it's a good, I tried to explain or that I'll answer the question. a nonpartisan asshole. Then I'll yeah. answer the question. Okay. I just couldn't resist the moment. This is why I'm a Skullduggery regular, an undisciplined yeah. one. Um, I couldn't resist the moment. I actually, that is, that kind of severe skepticism is necessary. And, you know, the it's what was missing. Like when Bill Barr said, there's nothing in the Mueller report, move along here. And everybody believed him, right? And I was working for the House Judiciary Committee. I'm like, I would say to all these reporters for the most prominent publications in the country, don't believe him. You know, put in an asterisk. We don't have the paper. What if he's lying? And they would say to me, come on, he wouldn't lie. And it's only fair. We've been so tough on Trump. Then, of course, now we know two federal judges said two federal judges have said he was lying, essentially. OK, let me answer the is. So I welcome the skepticism. You know, this is a somber moment. Maybe watch party is not the the best word, but the alternative is a watch wake for American democracy, we have got to get, as I said, when you asked me about the objectives, we have got to get the American people to understand the insurrection was more than January 6th. It had a long run up. It's still going. You have to do something about it. You need to do that in how you consider in a nonpartisan way these bills and candidates that are big lie fodder burning across the country. You're gonna need to support prosecutors. Everybody in Atlanta is gonna need to support Fannie Willis when I believe she brings these these cases against Trump and others as she's very likely to do. And so it's appropriate to engage the American people in order to, look, the reality is, call it, I don't even know, I I doubt that they call it a party I think they call it a gathering, but maybe no, I was the on, press release I, does no, say No, I was party. on their okay. websites. I was on their sites. Some okay, of them call them fine. watch parties. Fine. And one of them is offering free Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Is that, at the one, is that the one I'm speaking at? It's the Robert Taft Memorial. I don't know, but I'll take the ice cream. <laughs> Look, everything goes so better. Chuck, Democracy Chuck goes better yeah. with ice cream. Okay, party, you're right. Party should is it, it has a 
connotation of frivolity. I, until you raised the question, I hadn't thought about it. But we can be a little generous with people who are trying to, what they are, don't quibble about the word they use. The spirit is the finest spirit of American democracy. After all, the Tea Party gave us American independence. Party is not a bad word in American history. And our political parties, we talk about the party convention. So maybe it's a slightly, you can see what a slippery character I was in court on behalf of my clients. Norm, as a uh, veteran trial lawyer, do you agree that the adversarial process is the best way to get at the truth? Yes. Isn't that the core principle of our criminal yes, justice system? Yes, we need to have the adversarial process, but if I in know where you're here, going, yes, if I know me, where you're going, make my point, Liz please. Cheney, you, Liz Cheney is an extremely, I love her. I never yeah. thought I'd say that because our politics right. are so different. Believe me, those stories that we all read, I'm sure they are true that she has fought a pitched battle, and you are going to see her asking some very tough questions. We're just reading articles that she's not going to go, look, they're my personal wish list, very grand legislative solutions. I'd love to see them too, of reforming the Electoral College. She represents, and Kinsinger represent genuine bipartisan GOP, hardcore, conservative, adversarial adversarial Foils. to who uh, what we have with this committee is a committee of all prosecutors they're all in agreement well, whose fault that is the that? conduct whose fault well, is that well one could say that when pelosi no, wouldn't let uh, wouldn't let mccarthy put some of his members the who he wanted on the committee he that can't put became, jim jordan on the committee isakoff the witness no, no cannot right. sit in the but jury look, box look, and in this the stand. Is, uh, this is, Jim Jordan I, I was a part of Jordan. the insurrection. I, I agree with you on that one. Yes, Jordan should have had no business being Another moment for the but, history books, but, guys. But, but Banks, possibly, and, and that was the other, uh, the other one. But look, in every congressional hearing I and Clydeman have ever covered or Victoria has staffed, yeah. there's or a majority and there's a minority. And, yeah. the, and, and you've been in both. And the, the job of the minority is to show when, when witnesses testify or depositions are excerpted to point out that which is not being highlighted by the majority yep. that might yep. contradict the narrative that the majority is trying to put out. That's the standard way congressional hearings have operated all along. In this case, we do not have, we do not have a minority that's going to challenge anything this committee of prosecutors is going to be put on. And that strikes me as a weakness of this process. Yep. Go ahead, Vic. I'm going to push go, back on, on you, right, Mike, about go this. Ahead and and yeah, then, and yeah, then Norm come to Pat. Norm's aid, you know. Yeah, right? uh, he so, need, he so, needs uh, you, Victoria. Yeah. So I worked, on the, I worked on the Ruby Ridge, you know, the big Ruby Ridge hearings. We had 16 right. days worth of hearings, almost 100 witnesses. There was no minority, majority sort of thing. There was a, a consensus amongst the members of the committee that something not good had happened in that place, Democrats and Republicans across the board. And we still conducted a probing fair inquiry into what had happened. So you, you don't have to have that sort of, you know, rigorous, you know, uh, he said, she said quality to a hearing in order for there still to be probing, thoughtful, rigorous questioning. 
Okay, I mean, fair enough, although Ruby Ridge was not exactly a highly politicized matter in the same way that, you know, this one is and many others. And I think that's where the difference lies. But Norm, you get my point that the, yeah, that the traditional way congressional yeah. hearings have been conducted is not the template. For it was these not hearings. traditional for an attorney general of the United States to lie to the press about a special counsel's findings. The shenanigans that I saw firsthand, including involving blocking Bill Barr from coming to the committee and just the insane carryings on of Jordan, Matt Gates, Louis Gohmert, um, Mark Meadows would sometimes come to the impeachment hearings and sit. He tried to sit on the dais. I had to kick him off the dais once told the, their chair that Meadows can't sit there. So the MAGA faction, the criminal conspiracy enabling, supporting, and perhaps participating faction of the Republicans have become so debased that we need another, it would be more harmful to the truth to have them carrying on. That All that being said, Mike, Nancy Pelosi, she bent over backwards, offer after offer after offer, any reasonable structure to, for McCarthy to be represented, but you just can't, as you agree, you just can't have Jim Jordan on that committee. And that was McCarthy's demand. I'm sure he didn't want Jordan on there, but he would have looked weak if he hadn't stood up for his person. So I, to the extent we don't have it. I think it would be counterproductive. And at any rate, it's um, McCarthy who's to blame for that total. He's such a disappointment to me. I work closely with him. I think you all know I'm like the States United Democracy Center, which I co-chair. My co-founder, one of my co-founders is Christy Todd Whitman. She's a former GOP governor. I helped the Trump transition, for crying out loud. I am not a visceral partisan. I was criticized. You know, the Democratic special interests had a quote the day I went to go be ambassador after two years. This is the greatest day for Democratic lobbyists. I'm paraphrasing. It was in the New York Times by Tony Podesta. This is our greatest day as Democratic lobbyists in the history of the Obama administration, because Eisen's leaving. Like, I am not a super Democratic partisan. That's just not how I roll. I'm friendly with Tony, but, you know, he represents a wing of the party that is not mine. I like to think I represent the principles. I mean, I, you know, like I've taken a different approach on some of the redistricting stuff. I thought there were places where we went too far. So I am not saying this as a partisan. That system, the clown show, is broken in the House, and we need to overcome that. And I think we've got a structure to do it. Cheney will be, Cheney and Kinzinger will be plenty skeptical. You'll okay. see. I want, let, and, and I want to pick up on that. Let's talk for a moment here before we wrap up about the personalities uh, on the committee, because even though there is enormous uh, consensus about the import, uh, on that committee about the importance of getting to the truth here and exposing the corruption, exposing the violence, exposing everything that happened. There are also ideological divides. Uh, on one end of the spectrum, you have uh, our longtime skullduggery uh, guest, probably rivals you, Norm, and the number of times he's been on this podcast, Jamie Raskin. Oh, my God, yes. And he's my, he's been, I've known him as long as I've known all of you from when yeah, we all arrived I, in Washington I, together. Yeah, I, I, went to high school. Was a I went to high school with him. I went to high school with uh, Jamie and yeah, 
And so he's on and one he was end my of the client, spectrum. of course, in the impeachment. First That's impeachment. Right. And he's already talking, uh, I understand, about using these hearings as a platform to advocate for getting rid of uh, the uh, Electoral College. And yeah. then you have Cheney on the other end, ideologically. She, she's not going to go along with that. No, clearly. That's he my, knows yeah. that. That's, he knows that's, that. Right, I, I want to say I have no firsthand knowledge about that leak that was in the media over the weekend about the differences between Raskin and Cheney on remedies. But you don't need to have any inside knowledge to know that this committee, and that's an example of the adversarial process, and it will be running all through. They're not having consent recommendations on reforming the Electoral College. Okay, but, that's do you think that's, but do you think that is wise of Raskin to, to even like broach that subject? I mean, well, clearly- it, well, well, I believe because, in the adversarial wh- process. I told you because, <laughs> be, yeah, because you know, you, you, you need a constitutional amendment. It's never going to happen. Don't never say never. We don't know the direction American politics is going to take. Maybe the revulsion. I was an eyewitness. I saw the grand swell building, the stars aligned, and when I went into the Obama White House on that first bus from the swearing in. We had 60 filibuster proof in the Senate and the big control of the House and the president. Never say never. But doesn't it undermine their credibility if they're pushing these pie in the sky ideas? Well, it doesn't doesn't undermine for, you know, (laughs) let's say that Look, everybody has a constituency. Cheney has a constituency. Raskin has a constituency. They're doing so many things in a bipartisan way. Is it really that bad if there's a few press stories about things they disagree on? That way their constituents can say, oh, he's still a liberal. She's still a conservative. You know, I don't think my own guess is that 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 was not a hostile that was not like a hostile leak where some reporter overheard something in a cafeteria in the House of Representatives. Somebody wanted that disagreement out there. No, I don't think it's I've seen a thousand leaks. There are some that are the two of you have had many stories over the years that have given me agita, heartburn and indigestion made me reach for the tongues. <laughs> this was not one. All right. Well, uh, Norm, to um, uh, to wrap up here, I've heard two different versions of what you plan to be doing <laughs> Thursday night. You'll you, in one version, you're at CNN commenting. In the other version, you're at a watch party eating Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So, which is it, or what's the order of how you will be spending your evening? I'll be at a civic democracy gathering, a celebration <laughs> of the rule of law, no party. Okay. And then and then I'll do the TV. But as you know, so ice cream first, ice, uh, uh, yeah. TV later. Yeah. As you know, uh, it's a um, what you see is what you get with me. And some people like it. Those people that I was telling you about in my Obama days, not everybody loved it equally. But the message will be exactly the same in all those venues, just as it is here today on Skullduggery. I couldn't do otherwise, even if I wanted to. All right. Well, what you see is what you get could be uh, our mantra for the hearings, and we'll see what we get. Um, Norm, thanks a lot again, and um, we will certainly be having you back. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, Norman. Thank you, Norman.